Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We're glad you chose to listen. Today is part three of our series called Righteousness. That word isn't heard very often anymore. What does it mean and how should that impact us? We will explore that in today's message, Righteousness Imputed. We believe that God is waiting to speak to you today. So sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. Uh, We had not planned this at all, and then I heard John talking a minute ago. Um, So really, before we get into the message, in light of how holy God is, um. I want us to pray, and he talked about kneeling before him. So if you're where you can physically kneel, if you want to turn around, kneel in the chair, you know, facing the other way real quick. Uh, I I just feel impressed we need to do that before we uh, jump into the message. I I was listening to uh, Faith Fest last night. They could not do it at the community college this year uh, because of the COVID uh, situation. So they did it online. Um, they had three artists, uh, Christian artists, come in to uh, sing. They were in a venue up on top of Brescia Mountain. But they also uh, piped in a uh, message from Francis Chan uh, over in Hong Kong. And uh, he was talking about how, how the Bible even says we ought to tremble at the Word of God. And he said he had met very few people in his life that he felt like really trembled at, at the Word of God. Think how holy God is and how we ought to tremble before him. And, and in the message, he talked about um, how our culture, how people today will listen to psychologists and doctors or professors and say, well, but they've got a degree. They've, you know, all, all they've got attached to their, their name. Or listen to, to Hollywood stars and everything and think, well, they're, they're good actors, so they must know something about life and morality and the afterlife. And yet not listen to the Word of God that's proved itself for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Why don't we take just a minute, Kelly, maybe tremble before God before we, uh, before we read. So if you want to physically kneel where you are or you know, turn around in the chair and kneel or whatever, let's, let's do that and pray. <clears throat> Father, It's impossible for us to fully recognize how holy you are. And even how strategic the message is today for us to understand how how you have to make us righteous. But Father, help us right now just to see ourselves before you as you see us. Father, if there are people here in this place that don't know Christ as our Savior, help them to see themselves as you see them, which is lost in sin. Father, those of us that do know Christ for sure as Savior, help us to also see ourselves as you see us. Righteous, not because of who we are, but because of what your Son has done for us. Father, we, uh, we just pray that we'd be transparent before you this morning, that we'd open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
we don't hear a lot about righteousness in our culture, so that's part of the reason for doing this series. Um, people just don't tend to talk a lot about it. Uh, I don't think I've had the TV on anytime listening to the news on any channel lately and hear people want to say things about being righteous or righteousness uh, in the news. You don't hear the, the main media talk about it. You probably don't hear that as a topic of discussion where you work at very often. Uh, but we need to talk about it, especially those of us that, uh, that are interested in the things of Christ and the things of God. We ought to talk about righteousness because God's interested in righteousness. God's highly interested in righteousness. And I can give you one proof for that. That's really all I need to probably say. God is so interested in righteousness, he sent his son to die on the cross for you. That's how focused God is about righteousness, how important righteousness is to him. We've already seen this series that God is the only one that personally, inherently has his own righteousness. We don't have so that's a problem for us. We don't have our own righteousness. We don't have inherent righteousness. Uh, righteousness is not ours by nature. We cannot make ourselves righteous either. So we, we've got a problem. Uh, Isaiah 64, I'm going to bring this verse forward from last week and just kind of as a send-off verse this morning. But, but here's part of that verse. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Now, guys, that, that's saying the best we can be, all of our righteousness, the very best we can be, still like a filthy rag before God in his righteousness. We can't compare to his righteousness. So we, we've got a major problem. So the question we have this morning, since we don't have our own righteousness, is this. How can we be made righteous? Now, I want you to notice a distinction about what I just said. I, I did not ask in this series how we can become righteous. Because to me, the word become would kind of intimate or imply there's something you and I can do to make ourselves become righteous. But we can't do anything to make ourselves become righteous. The only thing we can do is trust in Christ and let God make us righteous. We can't become, we can't control it. God has to make us righteous. And the way he does that is through something called a doctrine of imputation. And I know you probably don't talk about imputation or imputed all the time at work either, but, but it's an essential doctrine. It's something you need to understand, this thing called having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. The Bible uses multiple words to talk about it. We'll see that in one of the texts I'll read today later. But it talks about uh, reckoning us or counting us or imputing to us righteousness through faith in Christ. So let's kind of dig in to this. Because, guys, it's a, it's a really, really important thing for us to understand. Because it's, it's part of the gospel. It, it's really the fuller part of the gospel that can give you peace in your life. That they can help you view yourself the way God wants you to view yourself if you know Christ is your Savior. So let's talk about the meanings of the doctrine of uh, uh, imputation to begin with. The, the word itself comes from a Latin word that literally just kind of means to apply to one's account. So it's a banking type term or an accounting term. Uh, it's like someone went down to the bank and they made a deposit in your account. You couldn't do it but somebody else did it for you. And it becomes credited to your uh, account. Depending on the Bible translation, the word appears as reckon, count, or imputed. A study of the, the Old and New Testament together will give you three main 
ideas about uh, imputation, about God imputing righteousness or sin to someone. Here's the first time that, that it's mentioned. Uh, the first instance of imputation is this. Adam's sin is imputed to all of mankind. Adam's sin is imputed to all of mankind. Now, people don't like that. People will push against it and say, why in the world can, can God call us sinners because of what Adam did? Well, there's a theological term that people view Adam as being like the federal head of the human race. And that kind of means this. It means that Adam kind of voted for sin when he disobeyed God. And since he's our representative, he's the federal head of the human race, all of mankind fell into sin. Now, people still don't like that. Guys, I've been affected by things all my life I don't like. Have you ever had a politician to vote for something you didn't like? And yet it affected you and you had no control over it. So, so the same thing, that happens a bunch, doesn't it? Everybody can say amen, you know. Uh, so uh, anyway, that, that's kind of what happened with Adam. Adam sinned, he rebelled against God, and, and, and God counted his unrighteousness to all of us. And, and all of us became sinners. A second use of imputation in, in the Bible is this. The sin of mankind is imputed to Christ. In, in other words, all of our sin is imputed to Christ. When he died on the cross, God put all of our sin upon him. Adam caused our sin debt. Jesus paid the sin debt for us fully when he went to the cross. Now, now the, the third type of imputation the Bible talks about is this. It's a righteousness of Christ being imputed to repentant sinners who trust in the sacrificial substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. In other words, guys, when we trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross, God credits to our account. God imputes to our account. God credits to our account his own righteousness. We don't have our own, but he gives us his righteousness. He puts it to our credit when we trust Christ as Savior. You, you might kind of illustrate it like this. Adam left us an inheritance. <laughs> the inheritance he left us is a sin debt. Now, that's not kind of inheritance you want, is it? You keep hoping and praying that you're going to get a call one day from a lawyer's office and uncle or aunt so-and-so or maybe someone you've never even met in your family has died and they've left you a million dollars. You keep hoping for that, don't you? You want that to be your inheritance. Well, that's not what Adam did for us. Adam instead leaves us an inheritance of sin debt. The problem with that is this. <laughs> you and I can't pay it. I can't pay for the sin debt. You can't pay for the sin debt that Adam created for us. It's part of our inheritance. We got it from him, but we cannot pay for it. So here's what happens. God sends his son, enter Jesus Christ. He goes in as our benefactor, and he pays fully for us what we cannot pay, could never pay, and the debt of our sin is erased when we trust Christ as our Savior. That's a picture of what imputation is about. Well, one of the most common verses that's used to talk about the doctrine of imputation is a verse we've already seen in this series, but it's 2 Corinthians 5.21. The Bible says, for whose sake? What does it say? For our sake. He, talking about God the Father, made him talking about God the Son. To be sin, to literally become sin, to be sin, 
who knew no sin. He had no personal sin of his own. So that in him, when we trust in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We talked about this verse in week one of this series. And, and guys, it's a fantastic verse because it, it gives us a great blessing for our sake, for your sake, for my sake. God made the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to literally be sin for us, who knew no personal sin of his own, and yet God the Father made his own Son to be sin, so that through faith in him, we can become the righteousness of God. I like to refer to that as the greatest exchange that's ever happened in human history. That's the greatest trade-off that's ever happened. You talk about sport teams trading this person and that person. The greatest trade that's ever happened in history is this. Jesus took all of our sin, and he gives us all of his righteousness when we trust in him. That's more or less what imputation is about. But I want you to see in the Bible. So let's talk about the, the messages, not just the meaning, but the messages of the doctrine of imputation. So guys, this is kind of a doctrinal series. So when it's a doctrinal series, I really have no choice but to throw a lot of Bible at you to show you what the Bible has to say. So those three things about imputation we just talked about, let me show you those in the Bible. The first one is this, the imputation of Adam's sin to mankind. It's something we don't like, we wish didn't happen, but, but it has. And, and because of Adam's sin, all of us are sinners, but not just because of his sin, because I want you to see this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, through one man, that's talking about Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because, what does it say? All have sin. So even if the sin of Adam wasn't imputed to us, it is, that's what the Bible says. That sin guilt came upon all of us. Death came upon, as a sentence upon the human race because of Adam's sin. But even if that were not the case, guess what else we do? All of us have sin. Amen? Amen? Now, you can sit there and think, I'm not going to shake my head to that. You know, the, the, the preacher might see me admit I'm a sinner. Well, guess what? I am too. <laughs> all of us have sinned. All of us fall short. And it's not just Adam's sin, guys. If we'd be truthful, every one of us have sinned. Amen? All of us have. So Adam, because of Adam and because of our own sin, we, we have this sin problem. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22 says this, For as in Adam all die. Why, why does it say it like that? Because the sin of Adam is imputed to all the human race, is reckoned to all the human race. Now it says also, uh, in Christ, all shall be made alive. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So, so the first instance of imputation of the Bible is Adam's sin. Because of Adam's sin, we're all sinners. It's imputed to us. It's what the Bible just said. There are tons more verses I could read, but that's just a sampling. Second part of the imputation that I mentioned a moment ago is this, the imputation of mankind's sin to Christ. All of our sin was placed upon him. So let's look at the Bible to see that that's true. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, now, let me stop before I even read it. Where's Isaiah at in the Bible? Old Testament. Was Jesus 
in the world yet. Now, he was, he's eternal God, so he's always existed. But had Jesus came incarnate in the flesh at that time? No. Had Jesus gone to the cross at that time? No. But look what Isaiah tells us in advance, hundreds of years before it ever happens. He tells us that he, talking about Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes were healed. What's that verse telling us before it ever happened, hundreds of years before it ever happened, that God was going to put on Jesus the sin of all of us, and that Jesus would pay for our sins on the cross? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, I read this last week. I'm sorry, but I'll have to read it next week because next week we're going to talk about living out righteousness. But look at the first part of this. He himself, talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus literally took our sins in his body to the cross. Our sins was imputed to him. And then I know I've already read it, but I need to point to it again. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, notice what he did. He made him to be sin. God imputed all of our sin to his son. The third part of the imputation that I've already alluded to, first one is this, Adam's sins imputed to all mankind. Second one, all the sins of mankind is imputed to Christ, and he dies on the cross for all of our sins. But the third one's the really good part. <laughs> the imputation of Christ's righteousness to people who trust the promises of God concerning Christ and his gospel. God imputes his own righteousness. He gives us, he reckons to us, he credits to us that banking term. Again, I mentioned, he, he, he credits to us the very righteousness of Christ when we trust the promises of God concerning Christ in the gospel. I'm going to read to you from Romans 4, and I've already alluded to Romans 4 in this series. Couldn't help but allude to it more than once, because Romans 4, when you talk about righteousness, is a really, really important passage of Scripture, because it clearly points out that Abraham was not made righteous by circumcision or good works or obeying the law. He was made righteous by faith. So I'm, I'm going to read this, uh, not probably all of it, but parts of it. And I'm going to look at, look, want you to look at Romans 4, 1 through 25. Take time and read it later if I don't read all of it. But, but I want to read it in the King James because I want you to see the word imputed or imputeth and the word reckoned and the word counted. And I want you to understand that those words are the exact same word in the Greek. If it says counted here or if it says reckoned here or if it says imputed here, in this passage it's the exact same word. So, so listen to what it says. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he'd have something to brag about, to glory in, but not before God because that's not the way he's made righteous. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and because Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. It was imputed, it was reckoned, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, in other words, it's not credited of grace, but out of debt. 
But to him that worketh not, but believe on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith, in other words, that type of faith, is counted or credited or imputed for righteousness. It even talked about David there. I'm not going to read all that, but David talked about the blessedness of the man who God won't credit uh, his sins against him, will not impute sin, but instead God will impute righteousness without works. Uh, Come on down into verse number nine. And it says, Come with this blessing then upon the circumcision only, in other words, upon the Jews that believed in circumcision, or or upon the uncircumcision also. For we saith that faith was reckoned or imputed or counted or credited, is what the word means, to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? How was it credited to him? How was righteousness given to Abraham? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision uh, because he he had not been circumcised yet at the time he believed is what uh, Paul is writing about here. He, He was not circumcised yet. And the reason being, God wanted him to be the father, not just of those who believed in circumcision, who practiced circumcision, but those who were part of the uncircumcision. In other words, the non-Jewish people is what's being said there. And it goes on and it says this, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness, of faith, which uh, to which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed or credited or counted to them also. And the father of circumcision of them that are not of the circumcision, but who walk also in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. In other words, we believe God. We take God at his word. Verse 13, for the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The Bible is saying the way you become righteous is through faith, not through the law, not through works, not through ritual, but through faith. Come on down to verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. You've heard me talk in this series already that if, if my salvation, my righteousness were dependent upon what I do, I would never be sure that it was a done deal. But look what it says here, that the promise might be sure to all seed. How, how can the promise of God be sure to us? Because it is by faith, not by works, and it's by God's grace, it's by his unmerited favor. That's how we know the promise of salvation is sure. The promise of God giving us his righteousness is sure. Not to that only which is of the law, but also to that uh, which is of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of all. As it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations before him who believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as they were. Now, let me stop there just for a minute, too. I am glad God quickens the dead. You want to know why? Because I was spiritually dead in my trespasses and sin. We're going to do a series on the other side of this series entitled Bringing Life from Death. And it'll lead us all the way up through Operation Christmas Child Time because it's going to also deal with that. But I'm thankful that God brings life out of death. I'm also thankful he calls those things which be not as though they are. Because God calling me righteous is a wonderful thing because I'm not righteous. He calls me that even though I'm not. (laughs) And yet he calls me righteous because of what his son did. I'm glad God calls me what I'm not because of my faith in Jesus. Then he goes on. 
And it talks about Abraham's faith being strong, not being weak, and, and how he didn't stagger at the promise God gave him, that he's going to be the father of many nations, verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. It was counted. It was credited. The same word you see, reckoned or counted. It was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed on him or to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Do you see that? It wasn't just for Abraham, but it's for us. And when we believe in Jesus, when we believe he died on the cross for our sin, we believe that God raised him from the dead, we believe he died for our transgressions, God imputes righteousness to us also. The word that he used for counted or reckoned or imputed or imputed is a Greek word that means to take an inventory. It means to... uh, there's something is said. You take an inventory and there's something said. A, a computation takes place. The, the most basic root word that counted or reckoned or imputed comes from means to lay forth. Now, guys, here what, here's what I think that means. <laughs> I don't think God is taking an inventory of us. Oh, no, he does. I, don't misunderstand me. He knows our sin. But when it comes to righteousness, God's not taking an inventory of us to make us righteous. He's taking an inventory of his son. <laughs> He's taking an inventory of his son. He's seeing his son and what his son did for us on the cross. And when we exercise faith in him, God gives us the Shekinah glory of God. God gives us his righteousness. He, he, he gives it to us. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it. God looks at us when you trust Christ as your Savior. He takes an inventory of what his son has done, and then he says something. He lays something forth. And what he lays forth is this. You are righteous because of what my son did on the cross. That's what God lays forth. The word righteous is something that we don't feel like many times, but it really is talking about God making us just as Christians. It means innocent, holy, just. It means right or justice. But the most basic meaning of the word means to show, to show. That's what God is going to do with us one day. He's going to show us for all eternity is righteous. Not because of what I've done or because of what you've done but because of what his son did on the cross. And what we have to do is believe. We have to put faith in him. We have to place uh, reliance upon Christ for salvation. We have to believe upon him, to, to rest upon him. What's what the word all literally means, superimposition or upon or over to rest. We have to rest upon him and believe that he was delivered for our offenses or, or trespasses. The word for delivered literally means surrendered or yielded up. Get that image in your mind. God takes his only begotten son and yields him over to sinful men to be beaten and abused, nailed to a cross. God hands his son over. I've got two daughters and one son. I love them all three the same. But since we're talking about a son... I'm going to tell you something, guys, as much as I could look at you and say I'd I'd like to know that you would go to heaven, 
I don't think I've got the capacity to take my son Jared and yield him over to you and say, take him and abuse him and beat him and nail him to a cross just up here shaking his head. You can't imagine doing that with your son. None of you that are parents can imagine doing that with your child. Delivering your child up. Knowing full well why. Knowing full well what's going to happen. And that's what God did with Jesus. He delivered him up. Intentionally did so to where he would, would pay the price for our sins. And then he raised him up again for our justification. He took his life back up to prove that Jesus done everything to make it possible for you and I to be made just or innocent. We, we had Adam's sin imputed to us. But through faith in Christ, we have the righteousness of Christ also imputed to us. Go back to Romans 5. I read Romans 5 a minute ago about Adam and us having his sin imputed to us. Let's revisit Romans 5 in verse 15 through 20. For many died through one man's trespass, Adam. Much more have the grace of God in the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. You see what he's saying? The whole human race was affected by what Adam did. One man, guess what? The whole human race can be affected by what the one man, Jesus, did. If we'll trust him by faith. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Think about the context he's saying there. Adam committed one sin, and that one offense caused all the human race to fall into sin. Hey, from Adam till now, there's been a lot more transgressions take place, haven't they? There's been a lot more rebellion against God. There's been a lot more sin take place through then. But even though multiple sins have happened through all the human race, from that day until now, guess what? The act of one man, Jesus Christ on the cross, erases all that if we will trust in what he has done for us by by faith. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one sin, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. You see that? You can't earn it. The free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinner, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Do you understand the truth of that, the power of that? Yes, you were condemned. Yes, you were lost because of Adam's sin. All of us were sinners. But because of the one act of obedience, Jesus going to the cross and there bearing all of our sin upon the cross. Because he said, not my will, but thine be done to the Father. There in Gethsemane. And he hung on the cross and he shed his blood through the one act of Jesus. And our faith in him, all can be made righteous. We saw this verse already in this series, 1 Corinthians 1.30, but God has literally made Christ our righteousness. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Some Bible scholars want to push against this verse teaching 
imputation of righteousness because they say this. Well, if you're going to say this verse teaches the imputation of righteousness, you're going to have to say it teaches the imputation of wisdom and the imputation of sanctification and the imputation of redemption. You know what? I don't have a problem with it teaching all those things. <laughs> Their argument is not valid because Jesus is our wisdom. If you want to see the wisdom of God, here's the wisdom of God. God in his infinite wisdom sent his son to die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sins that we can never pay. That's the wisdom of God. You and I can never, ever save ourselves. We can never, ever earn our forgiveness. So God in his ultimate wisdom sends his son to pay it for us. So Jesus is our wisdom. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, the Holy Spirit is there, yes, to convict of sin, but also to do what? To teach us. So we do have the wisdom of God imputed into us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly teaches the, the righteousness of, of Christ being imputed to us. We read many verses about that today. So even if this verse didn't teach it, the Bible still teaches it. But guys, Christ is also our sanctification and our holiness. Here's what is meant by that. Sanctification, when you think of sanctification or holiness, it, it means it in a practical way, but it also means it like this. Consider this right here. We're over here lost in our sin. And when we trust Christ as our Savior, God takes us and he sets us apart to himself. And he puts us inside of his family and we are sanctified. We are set apart to him. It's like those vessels in the Old Testament and the tabernacle. They were dedicated to God. They were dedicated for worship. And God has set us aside to himself. So Jesus is our sanctification. And Jesus is our redemption imputed to us. Because we have no other redemption except Christ. That he died on the cross for us. That gives the image of a, of a slave block. We were enslaved to sin. We were there on the marketplace, and Jesus steps forward, and he buys us with his shed blood back to God to where we belong to him when we trust him by faith. See, we need to remember foundationally all those things. I, I know you're probably wondering why I'm making a point of that because I, I want you guys to be well taught. You, you may read something sometime and someone say, well, that doesn't teach imputed righteousness. I think it does more than that. I think it teaches imputed wisdom. Their argument's non-valid. It teaches imputed wisdom. It teaches imputed sanctification. It teaches imputed redemption for us. <laughs> all those characteristics, all those benefits, guess what? They're not ours except through Christ. Imputation. I think, is an indispensable doctrine. I started out saying that. In other words, guys, you can understand the gospel. You, know, you can understand, all right, I'm, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And, and God sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. And I have to trust in him. And, and all that is, is the gospel. I'm not minimizing that. All, all that is, is great that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But you're not getting a full picture of the gospel. Do you understand that through faith in Jesus who died on the cross for your sin, God makes you righteous. God imputes his own glory, his own righteousness to you. Let me illustrate it like this. And God, I'm sorry we're going a little bit longer today, but it's important stuff. 
Uh, if you were to go home this afternoon and decide to bake chocolate chip cookies, number one, if you do that, uh, Daryl, John, and myself are expecting an invitation to your house this afternoon. Except John. John said he likes chocolate chip cookies better. He told me after the last service without the chocolate chips. So he's ruining my illustration, okay? So if you fix some without chocolate chips, you can call John, okay? But if you go home and you make some chocolate chip cookies this afternoon, you mix all the ingredients up and you put it in the oven, you bake it, and you bring it out and you think, it doesn't look right. It doesn't quite taste right. Oh, I, I, I left out something. I left out an essential ingredient. I left out the chocolate chips. Because if you leave out the chocolate chips, it's not chocolate chip cookies. You get, you get the illustration that I'm trying to give you? If you leave out the imputed righteousness of Christ to your account when you trust him by faith, you don't have a full picture of the gospel. When you trust in Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross, God reckons you righteous. God calls you righteous. God counts you righteous. God imputes you the very righteousness of his own son. But you have to do this, guys. And I'm going to read one more passage of scripture and we're done. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, what's it say? Believe. There's no difference between the Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The only way you can be made righteous is through faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom in your wonderful plan of salvation. We thank you in your full wisdom, in your omniscience. You knew in eternity past that mankind would sin. You knew that we'd have the guilt of sin attached to all the human race. You knew we couldn't save ourselves. And in your wisdom, you sent your son to accomplish for us what we could not do. So that through faith in him, you will give us, you will credit to us, you will account to us the very righteousness of your son. That you will call us, make us righteous, even though we're not. That when you look at us after we trust Christ as our Savior, you will see your Son in His righteousness. Father, I pray for anyone in this place or anyone that might be listening online that does not know Christ as their Savior. Father, give them, give them the assurity and the clarity right now that they can't save themselves. They can't be good enough. But Father, give them the faith to take you at your word like Abraham did. To believe your promise, not concerning being a father, but the promise of God in the gospel for us. God, help anyone here that doesn't know Christ as Savior to believe your word, to believe your promise, and trust in Christ as their Savior right now. God, help the rest of us to have a better view of ourselves as you view us. 
and help us to live that out in the world. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, especially this morning, I'll be here at the front. So will Daryl. John will be available after the service if you'd like to talk to him. But why not? Why not be righteous? <laughs> I mean, think about the choice. You can trust in Christ and be made righteous, or you can freeze Christ and be lost for all eternity. That seems like much of a choice to me. But if you don't know Christ as Savior, why not today? Why not understand that God will make you, give you His righteousness if you'll trust in Christ? Please stand. Please come. God speaks to your heart. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances, and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.